he's got a plan and he's going to slowly reveal the plan and try to save everyone he can. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are my friends and yours, Amy. Good morning. And Karen. Hello. Tracy is somewhere in the stratosphere over the continental United States. He will not be joining us today because he is flying home from Florida. So, no Tracy today, but we have been having a fantastic time here talking about the wonders of... I guess is it would be considered chicken husbandry? Yes. That's yeah. the perfect discussion. Ah, oh, see, I I I I learn things by listening to my my friends who are smarter than me about these things. Or in the case of neutering, lack of chicken husbandry. Right. Well, yes. Because <laughs> we Learn. were actually talking about neutering roosters, which I did not know is a thing. So if I'm silent today during the podcast, it's because I'm researching. Karen is Googling how, how that works out. <laughs> that part might go on the cutting room floor. We'll see. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, boy. I'm in trouble today. I'm in trouble today because I've already been informed that, that the aggression of roosters comes from their testosterone. And I'm, I'm the Toxic. only... Masculinity. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the um, only man in the. Instance. I'm only man in the <laughs> virtual room right now, and so I'm in some serious trouble. <laughs> oh, so I think what I'll do is I will divert the conversation to to the Bible, and then there maybe I'll go. be there safe. Brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we are in John chapter eight, and just to back up a bit for context, and back I'll go back actually several episodes because. Jesus had gone to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, um, and there he had said things like, I will give you water and it will come forth from you. Um, after that, and what we talked about last week then was, uh, and this was after the feast, uh, the, the elites, if you will, brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus that conspicuously did not bring the man before him but wanted to know if they should stone her, uh, trying to get Jesus to to uh, fall into a trap, because if he says, yes, you should stone her, then he's in trouble with the Romans. If he says, no, you shouldn't stone her, then he's in trouble with the Jews. But he very masterfully managed to uh, uh, basically implicate all of them in their own sins to the point where they all just sort of walked away and no one was left to condemn the woman. Beautiful, beautiful story. One of my favorites, actually, um, for, for many, many different reasons. But so now, as we pick up this week in Brown, oh, verse 13, we find the Pharisees getting up in Jesus's face because of some of the things he's saying. Uh, we had sort of left off last week um, where Jesus had said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So Jesus is kind of, he is presenting a whole lot of new ideas that the Jewish elites 
they don't care for for several reasons, but one of them is because Jesus is kind of coming up, bringing new ideas to the table where the tradition for them has always been preach what has already been told. Um, uh, You know, that's by our standards, that's kind of a strange way to think. I mean, yeah, we kind of like to hear things that we've heard before, have our have our beliefs reinforced. But I don't know about you. I personally like to have new thoughts to think about and consider and and say, okay, how does that you know fit into things? But the Pharisees, they don't like this because as they put it, they say, you bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. This goes back to, well, not just a few weeks ago, but we've read it before too, where uh, any testimony really required two people at least to uh, to corroborate what you say. Now that was specifically like for criminal cases, but apparently they're also applying it to theological situations too, where if you are coming up with an idea, you need to have people, um, who are agreeing with you or that you're showing that you're agreeing with. And the Pharisees, I mean, they just keep pushing this. You, you, what you're saying isn't true, because he's coming with the, with saying these these new things, and he's really starting to push the concept of him as Messiah, and really alluding to him as the Son of God. So, I guess first of all, what do you what do you how do you feel about that that idea of let's only reinforce what's been said before, let's not bring anything new to the table. <laughs> You don't even like that idea. <laughs> yeah. I guess I, I took it a very different way. I, I was more just thinking in terms of we don't we don't think like this. Like we don't he says, though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true. You know, they have said basically if you bear record of yourself, your record is not true. Uh, so you can't give your own testimony or or it's I, I guess we do in one regard think like this, like we think that guy sure toots his horn a lot. Therefore, he must be, you know, full of baloney. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I can understand where they're coming from on that because, mm-hmm. yeah, some guy just saying you should believe me because I say it, you know, who that's really realistically, that's not a great way to try to present a new idea. The Bible's own standards advise against that Mm -hmm. you know you're supposed to test every spirit right test prophets you know so it's kind of a it's kind of a it appears to be a contradictory idea on its face Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right like we're not supposed to we're not supposed to believe people just because they say they're awesome Mm -hmm. we're supposed to test it you know, by the word of God, by prophets that we've already tested and that we know are true, by history, by prophecy that is that that is already established. You know, these types of things. So that's this is a tricky section. Yeah, it kind of is because, well, I mean, like we just you know, anytime, anytime somebody's like, you know, I, you know, jokingly, you'll say, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm great. If you don't believe me, just ask me. You know. Right. Um, and and nobody is really going to listen to that. But and Jesus doesn't necessarily. I don't want to put it. He doesn't necessarily help his case 
because he just comes back and says, basically, even if I even if I do bear my own witness, what I'm saying is true. It's like he's trying to establish unquestionable authority, which is a new move for him. Mm hmm. Yeah. And then the way he does it, though, is by as he always does, pointing to the father because he, he he's, you know, how does he, 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 he moves forward and he goes, he goes, you judge according to the flesh. He says, I judge no one. And I'm going to want to come back to that. But he goes, even if I do judge, my judgment is true because the father is with me. And so we know now, of course, that he's talking about God, the father in heaven the people there don't quite, they're like, who's his father? You know, who's your father? Uh, or where is your father? Uh, but, um, he, you know, he tries to establish this by saying, no, I do have a witness and it's my father. And he just keeps reiterating. I'm true. What I'm saying is true. What I'm saying is true. Well, he even quotes the law here. So in 17, he says, in your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one and my father is one. Right. Mm -hmm. So then they quite logically say, well, where is your father? And he mm -hmm. says, you do not know of me or my father. So he talks in circles around them. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's weird because if you, the very last verse in this section, so like the second part of, um, well, the entirety of verse 20, but specifically the second sentence, he says, he spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Mm -hmm. No one seized him because his power had not He's in a public place in front of people that will kill him. It's like he's trying to throw gas on the fire and establish unquestionable authority all at the same time. It's a very it's a very strange passage to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, sort of like I've been pointing out here is that up to this point, maybe it was this festival particularly. I mean, we've seen little glimpses of Jesus coming out and and being like, this is who I am, but usually not real blatant. You know, mostly he's just talking about things about, you know, love your neighbors, love, you know, and that sort of thing. But when they come to him and they start to challenge his authority here, and he, like you're saying, Karen, he's really is trying to establish that, like, if I'm saying it, you should be believing it. Um, it is a, it's a, it's an odd mood move for him up to this point because he really hasn't worked this way that we've seen in the Gospels up to this point. Now, something he said there, and I said I wanted to go back to it, and I, th I think this is really interesting and worth worth exploring. He says, "I judge no one." He says, "You judge according to the flesh." He says, "I judge no one." What do you, what do you think of that? The idea. And, I, you know, it seems when you read in other aspects of of scripture and things that he says where Jesus does not stand in judgment over anyone. Um, do you think that that carries forward uh, through theology where Jesus is not the one sitting as judge or is this more of a localized, you know, when he's there, he's not he's not judging because we've seen, we just saw how he reacted to the woman uh, in adultery, and now he says this, and it just seems like a very definitive statement. Yeah, I think it's interesting because he does, um, 
like in John chapter three, he says, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. And so Jesus does keep saying this. I didn't come to condemn you. I didn't come to condemn you. But then there are other passages where he says judgment will be given to the son. So it's like his ministry on earth is to show people the goodness of God. But if they reject that, judgment will come on them. So that is a sort of a dichotomy that we have to cope with. Yeah, because he does say, even if I do judge. So that yeah, does sort of, it does sort of impl- imply that he could. Um, mm-hmm. And then, like you said, it sounds like like in, in the future from the passage we're reading here, in the future, he will be placed as judge. But at the, but but that's not his that's not his role at that time. His his role is to is to teach us to look to the Father and and uh, understand you know I guess theology in a whole different light and to get out from under the oppressions of of stifling religion and just have an actual relationship with God. Um. I know there was something else I was going to say in there, and I totally forgot what it was. Um, Isn't that just like toxic ma- toxic masculinity? To stand up as a leader and then not even know what to say. <sighs> Why do we talk? <laughs> so vicious. I'm. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna go dye my hair pink <laughs> and get a girlfriend. <laughs> oh boy <laughs> Amy take us somewhere better <laughs> Okay so so I want to jump over to Matthew 25 and verse okay. 41 um, So this is the story of Jesus talking about the judgment And when Jesus talks about the judgment You know it's like this is where he divides the sheep from the goats And this is where he says uh, to those who claim that they knew him Um, you know, I was hungry and you didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. And they're like, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? They know that passage. And he says, every time you saw the poor and you walked past them without helping them, um, you know, so that, so that's how he judges, but this is clearly a judgment passage. Like the Lord looks at how we treat the poor. And based on that, that's going to be part of how he judges us. Right? Like we tend to think in terms of, you know, did I look at anything unclean? Did I, did I do anything bad? But Jesus is saying it's your neglect of doing kindness to those who are in need. That's going to be one of the key criteria in the judgment. But then look at verse 41. He says, depart from me. Um, you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So we think in terms of Um, you know, God's waiting to fry us in hell, but no, every other thing he talks about is I came to save you. I came to seek and save that which was lost. I'm trying to save you. I came to show you the true nature of the father, which is he's trying to save you, but there is a fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And if you choose, you can go there instead of coming into the kingdom. Mm -hmm. There's that text in James that says, If you know to do something is right and you do not do it, that is sin to you, Mm -hmm. right? So it's a a sin of passivity, which I think is alarmingly common. We can sit back and fold our arms and we didn't do anything wrong, so we feel fine about it. 
but we knew to do right and we didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I think, well, I, I think that's an issue for us today. And it was, I think it was probably an issue even back then of ignoring the plights and needs of those, of people who are in, in real need. Um, the idea of Jesus, I, and I, I, I know, I know that as we get down, like into Revelation and stuff, there's, there's definite, there's definite passages that really place Jesus like in a judge's at the judge's bench, you know, um, and and looking over and and having that final say. But even then, I kind of wonder if some of that isn't. Um, not necessarily intended to be literal imagery, but rather as we have seen Jesus's examples here and the way he, the way he did things, the way he taught, the way he acted towards others, that as we stand basically before he, before his, his sacrifice is applied, we stand already condemned. And so Jesus doesn't need to judge us. Right. And so if we if we don't follow the examples that he has shown, that is what figuratively puts him in judgment over us, where he has he has shown be kind to the poor and the widows and show love to your enemies and to your neighbor and 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 these sorts of things. When we choose not to do that, choose not to live as Jesus lives we basically remain in that condemnation that sin has already placed us in. And so Jesus really doesn't have to sit there with a gavel and point the finger and say guilty because we just are. I wonder, and you know, it's just my, my, my brain ticking off ideas here, but I kind of wonder if that's isn't kind of what he is iterating here, where he doesn't really even have to sit as, the specific judge over sins and over people because his example is his is the witness even like like here where 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 the 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 pharisees are looking at him and going you're you know this is your witness and he's like yes this is my witness and yes my witness is true am i am i making sense there or am i getting ethereal to the point where i'm spouting nonsense no i i think you're making sense i I think maybe what you're trying to hit on is that, um, like to acknowledge the fact that the Jesus who came and lived among us is the same Jesus who is the judge. And so we have nothing to fear Mm -hmm. as long as we, um, as long as we listen to him and, and understand what he's telling us about the father. Like as soon as we embrace this idea of a good father, suddenly we have the faith of Jesus, like Revelation talks about. We assume that whatever God's doing is good. We look at God and go, yeah, he's the good one. Um, like they said in Monty Python, right? Yeah, <laughs> good one. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so we lose that terror of the judgment because it's our heavenly father and that's who jesus came to show us so maybe that's what you're trying to say kind of well yeah kind of um but i don't know i'm really i'm i'm kind of stuck on this idea that jesus is not our 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 judge 
you know, that he, that's not his role is, is to judge and to condemn. His role is to save. And when we start looking at him as judge, specifically judge, we start to see him in a bit of a wrong light. Um, you see these depictions. I mean, literally, I've seen depictions of Jesus sitting at a judge's bench with a guy standing in front of him with his head bowed. And, and, and you know, it's as if Jesus is there to say, well, you're either innocent or you're guilty. And it's this it's almost like the imagery is created to to frighten us into towing the line more than just having a relationship with Jesus, where if I'm with him then I'm naturally doing the things, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just sort of not a literal judge picture. That's, that's kind of forming in my head. It's going to take more. It's going to take more thought on my part to be able to put that into words. I think. I wonder if that's more of a time and place thing also, because there's, you know, a couple places in the Bible where it says that God winks at times of ignorance. Yeah. But then when it's time, he calls every man to repentance once you've received the call to repentance, you're you're judge worthy. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets the chance. Nobody's going to be left out of that. You could be living on some far continent and never heard the name of Jesus in your life. And in your own way, you will be called to repentance. And God, and, and I mean Godhead, who knows everything that you think and do and think about doing and choose not to do to do that is the that is the god that will execute judgment in whatever you are capable of i don't know like i said it's something that's going to require me to put a little more thought into but sometimes the more i read scripture the more i think that some of the literal things that get depicted of going on in heaven is less literal, more figurative. It's not bad for us to necessarily consider those things in a in a literal sense until we maybe take it a little too far to the point where now we think of God as this judge waiting to swing the gavel at us. And that's not the picture, really, that Scripture is giving. Yeah, to what you're saying, you know, I mean, God's the creator of the universe, right? He speaks matter into existence. He makes living bodies that do all this biochemistry. And he's he's really, really cool, right? Mm. So to think that he's like a, a human <clears throat> judge sitting on a throne or to, I guess, sort of anthropomorphize that way, we, we're at fault. But those are the images that he gives us. So there's a purpose in what he's trying to tell us. Like there, there must be some reason that he uses that imagery for us. So Mm -hmm. I think there's some benefit in it, but I also think, yeah, we have to keep in mind that, you know, this is, this is a fantastic cosmic being. um, The only thing that could create life. And so just keeping in perspective that those are just, those are just ways of understanding who he is sort of like allegories almost the Mm -hmm. idea of a a judge on a throne is true but also somewhat allegorical yeah that's what i'm trying to say very good words amy (laughs) (laughs) to what karen was saying a lot quite a while back um you know these are really difficult passages like i don't quite understand all of this don't Mm -hmm. you feel like um 
you know, you don't know me nor my father. Um, if you had known me, you would have known my father. Uh, that, that would have been hard for the Pharisees. Like it, w- it really truly is difficult to understand what he's talking about. And they're like us, right? They're just living in the world, kind of normal people. Um, and they're trying to sort out what this guy is saying. And he is, you know, extremely spiritual in these passages. And he's claiming that he's the Messiah and that his father is God and that God is witnessing to his messiahship. I mean, that's essentially what he's saying. And it's hard to understand. So I'm a little bit sympathetic with these guys. I mean, yeah. I'm, they're angry and they want to kill him. Mm-hmm. I'm not there. I don't want to do that. But I wish that I could comprehend better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a very fair thing to say is, is understanding to a degree where these guys come from. They've been living for a very long time under a very specific set of standards and ways of thinking about these things. And Jesus is bringing in stuff that is basically brand new to their minds. It shouldn't be if mankind had had followed the things that were taught in the way that God intended them to be taught. Um, Jesus maybe wouldn't have found himself at this point in such a state of... of um, being hunted all the time and having these guys question his every move and you know even to the point where i've said many many times if i were in that situation then with the same knowledge that they had where would i have landed it's hard to say i might have been on the side of the pharisees um but you know gotta have when when jesus comes along and tries to open their minds Who's trying to open their mind and who's keeping it shut? That's that's kind of a play here, too. There are a couple of places in the Bible where it says, you, you said that you were having trouble with the idea of Jesus as judge. And I was saying, in contrast to that, what if it's more of a time and place thing? Because we have a couple of places in the Bible where it says that God winks at times of ignorance. Mm-hmm. Right? But... There does come a time when he calls everyone to repentance. And it's up to that person how they respond. Once they have been called, they are responsible for having been called. They're responsible for how they process that. But when they are legitimately ignorant, they are given leeway. So my thought on how Jesus was interacting with the world they had gotten pretty far off track from what the message of the gospel was, from what the law was. You know, that whole love is the fulfillment of the law. Mm-hmm. There are only two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, that's the law. They had gotten so far into the letter of the law that they had forgotten completely about the spirit of the law. And this is generations into it. You know, they're not, these people that Jesus is ministering to are not responsible for the generations of information that they've missed, but they are responsible for what they're introduced to now and how they handle it. Mm-hmm. So I think of judgment. So I, I from that perspective, I get why Jesus said, I'm not here to judge. He's here to call to repentance. Like, that was what he was there. It was kind of like a a spiritual reset. No, you've gotten off track. 
it is about your behavior, but it's also about what drives your behavior. Your behavior isn't a standalone function of you. Your behavior comes from your thought pattern and your emotional pattern. Go within, right? So that was kind of what I was trying to say is like, Jesus as judge doesn't bother me, mm -hmm. but it's time and place. Yeah. In my understanding of it. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that Jesus as judge bothers me. I'm mostly just saying I wonder if it's just sort of different than it's been depicted, uh, at, you know, with, you know, that that imagery. Then like like Amy said, though, that imagery is I think it's probably maybe it's inspired and it's something for us to consider. I think I think perhaps, though, too much of the world has landed on the idea of Jesus as judge. And so in their ignorance, they they tend to see Christians then as being judgmental, as being know, even hateful, uh, you know, uh, and and uh, we're over here going, no, I'm 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 not. I just uh, I'm seeing things different than you. So. Um, so, yeah. And anyway, it's it is a very interesting passage. It's a very. The, the Pharisees obviously are having a hard time with it um, because they haven't accepted and maybe they haven't even landed really on the idea of Jesus as God, let alone Messiah. And you know, Jesus telling them, you don't know me or my father, even though they don't quite get who he's saying his father is. And I bet some of them did, but. But he says, you don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you would have known my father. Um, you know, that's I a bit of a. Implied. Don't yeah. you think it's implied that they knew from that last sentence? You know, that well, nobody, no one seized him because his hour was not yet come. Otherwise, I mean, the mm -hmm. implication there is they would have seized him for blasphemy. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I suspect, too, some of it is they're probably left so confused, not understanding. Because if they're only thinking of him as a human being, maybe they're just going what you know and then when he's able to just walk out of the temple because it's not his time it's because they haven't quite figured out <laughs> they haven't quite figured him out yet uh <laughs> they just know that they don't like what they're hearing so a while back i had been thinking about you know the sort of the ruling classes in jerusalem and how their um perceptions you know they really were having a very difficult time with this like they're the protectors of the law right and they're also people who completely respect god and so they want people to behave a certain way uh they want to preserve their religion like in a way there's a lot there to admire um but of course instead they're very selfish and uh there's the the dark side of that but what I was thinking about was the fact that, you know, I feel like Jesus is witnessing even to them. Like he's saying things that are really harsh, but he's also showing them the, the weakness in their thought patterns so that they can be saved. Yes. And then, yeah. And then the other part of what I had been thinking about was how, how many times do we see Jesus send someone who has been healed to the priests? So he's sending these people to the priests and the priests for you know, 1600 years, they never see leprosy change. Leprosy is unhealable, right? And then all of a sudden, there's these cases coming into the temple who have healthy skin. And these are people that the priests had seen, and the priests had said, go outside the city, you're no longer allowed to interact with people. 
And now they've come back and their skin is healthy. And they're like, what is going on? And so it's a way of, he's witnessing. Jesus is witnessing the truth of the love of the Father to the priestly caste. And so we have this great verse in Acts chapter 6. It says, and a great company of the priests became obedient to the faith. Um, So I feel like they were watching. Like some of them were genuine-hearted individuals. And yes, some of them were horrible. But, But a lot of them were actually like, wait is this guy truly the Messiah? Because I've never seen anything like this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we know some of them were paying attention, at least because uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were, you know, we were talking about Nicodemus and how he had kind of been trying to, to defend Jesus, even if not specifically defending what Jesus was doing and saying, but at the very least, you know, reminding the Pharisees, hey, we have a process and you guys aren't following it. And then he kind of got lumped in with Jesus with that. Um, but so, you know, he was listening and obviously others were too. <clears throat> and, um, uh, may, you know, at this point, maybe it's just seeds being planted. Uh, now, Jesus- seeds, whatever they are, they're very bold seeds. Like that yeah. is, can you imagine being a religious leader of the day and hearing Jesus say those things? Just be like, oh, that would keep you up at night. Like, what was that guy talking about? Is this mm-hmm. true? What is he saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you think about even, you know, if you were to hear somebody say some of these things today, of course, we're looking at it. We already have Jesus as Messiah, and we're right. looking forward to a second coming that's going to happen in a very specific way. But, you know, today when we have people show up and they're like, yeah, I'm Jesus. You're going, mm, wait, what? You know, our first inclination is to be is to be very skeptical. And I suppose rightly so, because, uh-huh. you know, even in Jesus' time, there were lots of people claiming to be Messiah and for different, you know, for different reasons and in different fashions. And so, you know, Jesus is kind of one of many at the time. But his me- his methods and his message seem to be rather unique compared compared to the others. Well, Jesus turns the tides just a little bit here, and uh, in a way, to me, that's almost like him saying, "Okay, you know, guys, don't worry about this," because what he says is, "I'm going away." So almost in the context of what we're reading here is like is like, "Look, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave." He says, "I'm gonna go away." You'll seek me and you'll die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So he's he's like, okay, fine. You know what? If you don't want to believe me, don't worry about it. I'm going to be leaving. And then you won't be able to find me because where I'm going, you can't go. And he he had said this before and they all had been like, where could he possibly go or we wouldn't find him? Um and for some reason here, the Jews are wondering if he's going to kill himself. To me, that's sort of an odd. I wonder what I don't quite get the context there, why they would go to to that conclusion at that point. Why? Why? Him saying, I'm going to go away. They would come to a conclusion that he's going to kill himself. But. It's very interesting to me here how Jesus is is like, you know, you, you, you don't have to listen to me. I'm not going to force you to listen to me. But if you don't, if you don't, you're going to die. You're going to you'll die in your sin. He says, you're from beneath. I'm from above. 
if you don't believe that I'm he, you will die in your sins. And so he is getting so bold here in his in his message, in his basically, look, I'm the one you've been waiting for. Did you notice um, what it says in verse 26? 26. So, okay, in 25, they say, who are you? They asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I mm. have much to say in judgment of you. That <laughs> mm. he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. And in light of where we were just, where we just were, he's like, I didn't come to judge anybody, but I got things I could say about you. <laughs> um, it does, it does sort of make me chuckle the way, the way that Jesus will approach things at times in very bold, very direct ways. And he doesn't care if he offends them. He doesn't care if they get angry at him for what he says, he is, he's going to say what needs to be said. Well, and we also, in verse 21, it says once more. And so it, to me, that implies that he, this is a different time, maybe talking to a different group of people. So we can't assume that this is one straight passage where the audience is the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And yet it seems contradictory. It seems contradictory that he tells them that he can testify to himself earlier. It seems contradictory now when he said when he tells one group of people, or at least at one time, he says, I'm not come to judge anybody. And then later says, I have a lot to say in judgment of you. Yeah, John is interesting in the way that he, well, first of all, in the way that he presents the stories, because like we've seen before, he doesn't necessarily care about chronology. He puts things together more thematically. And so it's like sometimes we find ourselves bouncing around in the chronology when we compare him to some of the synoptic gospels. Um, but these passages aren't found anywhere else than John. Uh, and so, so when he's thinking, okay, here Jesus said, I'm not here to judge. And here he's saying, Jesus saying, I could judge you. <laughs> um, it, it is, uh, like you said, it sort of seems contradictory, but there, there is like, this, the, there's still this underlying thread that John is following where Jesus is, is saying there is judgment and the things I'm doing, you will be judged by. Um, and at the very least right now, I'm not here to judge you. Right. In the future though. That's what this I was saying all... earlier. That's what mm -hmm. I was saying earlier. Time and place. Mm -hmm. It's not that doesn't judge it's when he judges mm -hmm. yeah but do you remember do you remember that passage that we ran across in genesis um when god was talking to abraham and he was kind of spelling out the future of his promise that he was going to become this huge nation and he said you know i'm going to give you this land but you can't have it for 400 years because the iniquity of the amorites has not yet reached its fill Mm -hmm. You remember that? Like yep. the Amorites were not known as good people, but they still had 400 years of God giving them a chance. So his friend Abraham and the descendants that were going to become the Israelites couldn't have 
for 400 years. He brings Abraham in there, shows him the land, keeps him living as a nomad, and then takes him down to Egypt. And then they don't come back. They don't come back for a long time because the iniquity of the Amorites had not yet reached its fill. Like, I really do think that God's judgment is time and place and that he is he is so fair. He's so fair to the point of patient, like it, it, like excruciatingly patient. Like it would it would sort of make more sense if he could just take care of it all in one generation. Like, here's your education. Here's what you need to do. Do it or your whole generation is going to be judged. But he doesn't. It just phases on and on and on. And people are just given so many chances over the decades and centuries. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. So that goes back to this cosmic God. Like, I feel I feel what Karen just said. Like, I am, it's like, I'm in and out of my spiritual experience. I fluctuate because I'm a weak human being and I'm not uh, capable of constant spiritual input, if that makes sense. Like, um, but I, but I feel what she's saying because I know that God has been extremely patient with me and with my family and with my extended family. And I, so I see that like God is waiting patiently for the sons of Japheth to come to the knowledge of the gospel, right? Like all these Europeans that wandered all over the planet didn't necessarily have the same advantages of those that stayed in Palestine. And, and God is infinitely patient and well, not quite infinitely, right? He does tell us there will be a day when he'll judge, but he's, he's got a plan and he's going to slowly reveal the plan and try to save everyone he can. And that's and that's in the big picture. I think it's exactly spot on true. And I, and I do think that if you bring that picture smaller and you look at the course of like like what you were saying, Amy, the course of families or the course of communities or or church groups, you know, people who influence each other spiritually on a regular basis. But but certainly individuals, I think you can see that exact same thing like you you we lead this kind of weirdly circuitous route through life and we're like why isn't this a straight path i just want to go from here to there like, oh really are we prepared are we really prepared to live up to that you know because next thing i know like i'm off in the weeds and i can't even say i'm looking for golf balls like i legitimately just wandered off in the weeds with no reason right and so it's like i i'm continually living the path of the israelites where at one point I'm God's chosen people and then I end up in slavery and then I got there because I went there myself and maybe it was a good idea, but now it's not a good idea, but I don't bother to leave and now I'm stuck and I need someone to rescue me. And so I'm hauled out of there by some miraculous thing of God and I'm pointed once again to the promised land of salvation. And then I get right to the brink of it. And am I brave enough to really buy in this time? Well, maybe not. Let's go wander in the wood. You know what I mean? Like I can own that entire path and if god wasn't patient where would any of us be Mm. but i do think he does judge and i do think it's time and place and we all have our moment there's that text in hebrews 4 that has always just stood out to me it's like we all will stand before him we will stand what is it everything will be laid bare before him to whom we must give account Mm. at some point there's judgment and in the meantime, there are buckets of grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. The way Jesus presents this here is is really cool. Really, well, yeah, I'll say cool. 
um, where they they come right out like, who are you? You know, it's like they're fine. They're they're kind of saying, OK, declare to us once and for all who you're saying you are. And Jesus's response to them is just what I've always been saying to you from the beginning. Uh, and I find it interesting because I haven't seen him except maybe towards uh, the woman at the well and maybe to Nicodemus. Uh, he hasn't ever really come right out and like said the words, I'm the son of God. I am the Messiah. Uh, I am your creator. But yet, you know, when we're talking about all this, like about his witness, he's basically saying, if you had been looking at me, if you had been seeing what I'm saying, you wouldn't have to ask this question. It's what I have been saying all along. And, and, uh, my brain broke. <laughs> my brain kind of broke. <laughs> my brain kind of broke just with that thought, though, in itself, uh, just because it is. He's like, he, he's just like, it's what I've always been saying. And, uh, you know, I see some truth that we can apply even now. It's like, if we, if the world will really look at Jesus's words, Jesus's actions, I don't think we can come to any other conclusion that Jesus is a kind, benevolent creator who is, we've been saying here over and over, not here to judge. He's here to teach. He's here to save. That's really the only conclusion you can come to if you actually read his words for what he's saying. I don't see how you come to any other conclusion. I, I get a little bit of a chuckle out of that, too, because I thought the same thing, like just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Oh, mm, OK. And yet and yet remember, there's two things that stand out. So the very last verse of the book of John, I know we're not there yet, but the very last book, the very last verse says Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them was written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would have been written. So there's that, right? This, you know, what we're reading here is probably a bit cryptic, you know, compared to the fact that he lived and interacted with people for 30 some odd years. And the other thing that I'm remembering is the road to Emmaus after he was raised. Mm -hmm. So he appears to these people who are walking along and they're wondering out loud about all of this and he shows up but he keeps them from recognizing him and it says he he showed himself to them starting from the beginning so mm -hmm. if you like what what does that mean when he says just what i have been telling you from the beginning is he talking about his literal words when he stood in front of them and said well I'm Jesus, and this is what I'm here to do. I am the son of God. I'm here for your salvation. I'm here to show you the way. I am the light of the world. Come to me, right? Is that is that what he means? Or is he talking about, I am the fulfillment of everything that you read as scriptures. And if you had read the law and the prophets, right, the Pentateuch and all the prophets, if you had read them with your spiritual eyes open, you would recognize me for standing right in front of you. Like he did with the, on the road to Emmaus. He didn't just say, okay, well, you guys totally misunderstood and show up and let them recognize him. He educated them by showing them the Savior and the plan of salvation, starting from Genesis and going straight through what to them was the gospel to that point. And it was there. So eh, I think it could have mm -hmm. gone either way. Maybe bits of both. 
I yeah, I think the answer to that is yes. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think his his physical representation there in the time of the gospels, everything there was telling us who he is and everything from Genesis to where we're reading now was telling them too and and he's kind of saying you guys are just you're just your eyes are closed you're not looking you're not listening yeah yeah i get frustrated sometimes because um there are people who want to say well the god of the old testament is like this mean mm. you know dark being who wants to fry everybody and then and jesus is you know the only representation of god that we can trust and i would agree with part of that and that's that Jesus is the clearest representation of God, but he um, he is present all through the Old Testament. And so we have these, you know, the idea of Hosea and his wife keeps fooling around on him and he loves her. And and that's so awesome. And then we have, you know, Jonah. God sends him to these terrible people and they repent. And Jonah's mad. And and uh, God says, you know, why? why would you not think that I would want to save all these ignorant people? Like, you know, I mean, it says the people who don't know their right hand from their left. Yep. Um, and then, and then he says, and I don't even want to hurt their cows. Like it says that in the Bible, you know, I don't even want to hurt the cattle. And, and so people get confused and think that God is like this angry judge and make no mistake. You know, we keep talking about the fact that he will judge but he's trying so hard to save us. And the whole Old Testament is the beginning of the story of the redemption. So, um, yeah, it's it's frustrating sometimes how people want to separate the Old from the New Testament and not they, they refuse to dig deep into the story and understand that he's there all the time. He is present all the time trying to save. I think that we humans are ready for judgment at times not our own everyone else's yeah. <laughs> of course uh-huh. i remember i remember hearing a sermon once and the and the the preacher gets up and says who here is ready for the judgment mm-hmm. man is the world of mess and of course everybody's clapping and throwing up their hands raising their hand like yeah i'm ready she goes she goes how many of you are ready for the judgment of you oh yeah. all the hands go down she's Ooh. like okay yeah <laughs> judgment of one doesn't come without the other so let's be patient Mm-hmm, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's tough. You know, I, you look around the world and there's a lot of sin. There's a lot of breakdown. There's a lot of broken people and relationships and situations and terrible habits. But I'm mm-hmm. telling you, if Jesus hasn't come down from the skies yet, the earth as a whole isn't ready for judgment. So... Even yeah. on the days, even on my best days where I feel like I'm ready, like, oh, wait, I haven't sinned in like two hours. Stand me before the throne now. Let's just, can we just do it now? Can we just do it now? Right. <laughs> even on those days, no, the world isn't ready. We got to wait. <laughs> uh, it reminds me of a couple of things here. All of a sudden I had a picture from Hamlet in my head when Hamlet is ready to go kill the king and he goes in and he sees the king praying. He's like, I can't kill him now. Because he'll go to heaven. <laughs> you know? <laughs> See how educated I am? I've read Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> but then the other That's thing awesome. that all, all, all also stuck in my head was remembering back to Moses when God was like, I'm going to kill them all. And Moses is like, you kill them all, you kill me too. You know? 
and and uh, you know the way it puts it is as if G, or as if uh, God's mind was changed by Moses, but I think I really think that that's put into Scripture to show us the attitude that we ought to have. You know, when we we we're like, oh Jesus, come now, come now, it's so bad, come now, and and if we really stopped and thought of the implication of that and realizing that if He comes now. That means millions, billions of people are lost. And, of course, we know that he can't wait forever. But, you know, we got to keep in mind the reason he puts it off is so he can save as many as possible. And we're going to see the world get worse. And I don't think we've seen anything yet. But we're going to see it get worse and worse and worse to the point where then it'll be like there is no redeeming these people now. Their 400 years, and I put that in quotations, marks because it's you know called back to the Amorites, but their time is up. They have proven that they are not going to follow. They are not going to do what I say, and that they cannot live in my kingdom. It just won't work. So that's it. Um, and, but in the meantime, our attitude ought to be, they don't go, maybe I'm not ready to go either. Well, I think you hit on something really important, which is, you know, Revelation talks about the fact that those who come through the the final time will sing the song of Moses and of the Lamb. And Jesus kept saying, I came to seek and save that was which was lost. And Moses said, Lord, if you have to kill them, please take me too, because I love them. And And so, you know, that is the song of Jesus and of Moses. And I don't think God, I agree with you. I don't think God was actually going to fry them. I think that the story is told so that we can understand the heart that Moses had for them and that God was willing to uh, accept his sort of loving intervention for them. I don't, I don't know how to word it right. Like that is a difficult story, but I also just know from the little bit that I've seen uh, through Christ, God has no desire to kill us. He doesn't want to. He's trying super hard to save us. There's this quote from um, Charles Spurgeon. says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. Mm. Mm. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Oh, mm. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. And then it's and the last sentence is let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. Mm. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That is a beautiful sentiment. We we yeah, we shouldn't want we shouldn't want their demise either. Uh, and you know our human nature sometimes point pushes at that pushes us that way. Yeah. Did you see how they acted? Of course they've made up their mind. Ugh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're like, <laughs> God, should we call down fire upon them? <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, and God's like, mm, no, no, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want that. Yeah. Isn't that it one of the most interesting passages? Yeah, isn't that one of the most interesting passages in the Gospels? Because the disciples are close to Jesus for three years, and then they do that. Mm -hmm. Like, let's call down fire on them, God, you know, Jesus. And Jesus is like, you have no idea what you just said. I didn't come to hurt people. Yeah. You know? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, and so that really, that's it, you know, and that's, that is the message that he has been, he has been putting forward ever since the beginning. (laughs) 
and and mankind has missed it. We have lost it. We've been misled to thinking of him as as this smiting judge and not as this this benevolent savior that Jesus is trying to present to them at that time. And that's why humans are not allowed to have lightning bolts. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. <laughs> I you know, <laughs> so somebody you know, if I if I had I've heard it, if I had superpowers, there's a hundred percent chance that I would use it for doing bad things. Yes, <laughs> you know. Oh. <laughs> All right, well, we are kind of up on our time here, and there's so much more left to talk about in the chapter. I think we'll wrap it up here. Uh, while you are reading the rest of John chapter eight, considering those words, remember you can reach out to us at ATTB podcast at the adventure.org. We would love to hear your insights and questions. Uh, anything, any, any, any uh, interaction you would care to have with us. We would love to have it. So, and yes, I'm talking to you, you right now, you hear me in your earbuds, write us an email. <laughs> Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. We reach you in your feed every week. Make sure that you share the podcast with your friends and family. And we look forward to talking to you again next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.